How are we doing, Hope City Church? No good? It's good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we are in a series right now we're doing called The GOAT, which stands for Greatest of All Time, inspired by LL Cool J, uh, because it's about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest of all time. But what we're doing is we're just reading through the book of John, and we've done this now. This is week eight. We're reading through the book of John. It'll lead us right to Easter uh, weekend, where we'll celebrate together, which is coming up here pretty soon, but we're reading these stories, these miracles, and these teachings of Jesus so that we would believe. We would believe. That's what John said. That's why he wrote the book. He told us why he wrote it, so that we would believe, not that Jesus is a person who lived at some point in history. We know that's true. That's verified and documented by lots of different ways, but John wants us to believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is God and that he left heaven and he came to us to save us and to save the world. And so we read these teachings and these stories and these miracles. And when we do, the way that God designed and created our heart is when we read about Jesus and we hear about Jesus, we either begin to love him more or we reject him more. But we never stay neutral. You either Your heart is either opened up and you say, I want Jesus when you hear more about him. Or your heart is closed up and you reject him and you say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus when you hear about him, but you never stay the same. And so John tells us that he wrote this book so that we would believe. And today we are in John chapter 11, John chapter 11, and we're going to read about a guy named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and this story today that we're going to read is incredibly emotional. It's incredibly dramatic because, just in case you're not familiar with the story, Lazarus is, going, is sick, he's going to die, and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead, which is pretty incredible. But it's also an emotional story because we will read for the first time, really, that uh, an event or an experience where Jesus experiences sadness. He experiences sadness. And we're going to read the story in John 11, but I really just want to skip ahead real quick to this one verse just to kind of show you what I'm talking about, where Jesus is experiencing this sadness. It's in verse 35. It's actually uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, in case you ever have to memorize one. I would recommend you going with this one. It's in John eleven thirty five. 35. It just says these three words, then Jesus wept. Then Jesus wept. And those are three really interesting words, because when we think about weeping, we usually don't think about Jesus, right? We don't think about Jesus having a bad day. We don't think about Jesus being, being sad, right? That's not something that he would do. I don't know how you imagine him in your mind, but he's probably always smiling or he's probably always serious or whatever it is, but you probably don't imagine him experiencing a wide range of emotions, but he did. He did. We serve a God who is... Is not bound by this world, but he understands what it's like to live in this world because remember, Jesus left heaven and he came to us to be human. He came to sleep on our couch is what we've said each week. And so he knows what it feels like to be you. Did you know that? That Jesus knows what it feels like to be you. And there's actually two Bible verses in Hebrews 
that are on your sermon guide, but I want to just read them to you. Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Before we read John 11, I want to just read these two verses out of Hebrews to you because it beautifully describes how Jesus relates to us. And this is what it says. It says, um, it says, this high priest of ours, which is just another way of saying Jesus, so we'll just say Jesus, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. These are such amazing words and such powerful words because it reminds us that God is not disconnected from our lives. He's not unsympathetic to, to our situation. We can come to God when we feel weak or when we feel emotional or when we feel tempted or when we feel tested because he has felt and experienced the same things that we have. Did you know that? That, that, that Jesus did not save us from a distance, he came to us. And so whatever it is that you feel today, Jesus has felt it too. Whatever testing you feel like you're going through, Jesus has gone through it. And whatever ways it is that you feel tempted beyond the ability to say no, Jesus has faced it. And so the Bible says that we come to him because he knows what it's like to be us. And when we come to him, he finds grace, or we find grace when we need it the most. When we're brokenhearted, we can talk to God about it because he knows what it's like to have a broken heart. When we're afraid, we can talk to God about it because he knows what it's like because of Jesus, to be afraid. When we're angry, he knows what it's like to be angry. When we feel hopeless, confused, depressed, tempted, we can talk to God about it because, because Jesus experienced and, and felt everything that we feel. The difference is that he came and did not give in to his weaknesses. I give in to my weaknesses all the time. You give in to your weaknesses all the time. I was going to eat healthy this morning for breakfast, I got the hotcakes at McDonald's. I give in to my weaknesses, right? I was going to do the healthy thing. I saw the picture. I don't know. Like, I just wanted the syrup. And so I give in to my weaknesses, large and small. You do too. Jesus came, felt all the same things we feel, was tempted in all the ways that we're tempted, and he never gave in. That is why he can be our Savior, had he come and given in the way we give in, he could have been a peer, he could have been a role model, but he could not have been our savior. But, but Jesus came to us. He died for us, and now he helps us to know God. And so we go to him, whatever it is that we're feeling and facing, and we find grace. That's what Hebrews tells us. And so these words in Hebrews, the reason we took the time to do that is because as we read John 11, we are going to see and read this emotional, painful, tragic story, not unlike the stories in this room, that, that we experience emotional, tragic, and painful times in our lives, but we will see in John 11 
what we read in Hebrews, that we can, if we will go to Jesus in those moments, we find grace when we need it the most. So let's read this together. John chapter 11, verse 1. By the way, forgot to tell you this at the beginning, in the seat, uh, underneath the seat right in front of you, there's a brand new Bible. We just put those there this week, and we put them there because we read a lot of scriptures during the sermons, and we can't put them all in the sermon guide, and maybe it's hard to follow along on the screen or whatever it is. And so we actually put the page numbers on the sermon guide. So every week when you come in here now, if you want to grab one of those Bibles, I'm like Mr. Tech Guy. I love all things digital, but there's still something about the Bible. I like it in like paper. I don't know. I'm just, that's just how I like it. And so I would love for you to read along. Today we're going to read about 40 verses. And so it's a lot of verses. And so I would love for you to read along. So if you want to grab that Bible from the seat in front of you, and then we made it easy on you. We put the page numbers on there for you, and, uh, and you could read along. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we actually had a family donate those, uh, pay for those to get those. And so thank you to them for doing that. That's pretty awesome. Here we go, John 11, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair, by the way, in case you're familiar with that story. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick, very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Stop for a moment, because this is a great reminder to you and me that when God doesn't do what we ask, when we ask it, it does not mean he doesn't love us. He loved them very much some of his best friends, and he did not do what they asked when he asked it. And if it hasn't happened to you already, it will happen to you at some point. You're going to ask God to do something, and he's either not going to do it or he's not going to do it when you want him to do it, and it doesn't mean he doesn't love you, all right? Great reminder. Verse 7, finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Skip to verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days, which means that Just about the time that the messenger left is when Lazarus died. Mathematically, that's pretty much what it means. And so he'd been in there four days. Verse 18, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. I love the extra ever in there. Will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed. And look at what it says she believes. Not that you're a real person who breathes. But I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You're God, the one who has come into the world from God. And then she returned uh, to Mary. And why don't you go ahead and skip to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Here it is, verse 35. Then Jesus 
wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus, Lazarus from dying? So it's the same questions we ask and deal with when we're feeling lost. It's like, couldn't he have done something? Why didn't he do something? Katie preached last week about how he healed a blind man. How come he couldn't have done this? 38, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. That will stank. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Two more verses, 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, to which we say like, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, duh. But just in case you need evidence or be reminded that some people will never believe no matter what, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus has done. Some of them are like, I don't know. I'm still not convinced, right? A lot of verses we just read and a lot of emotions in this story. Just, just I'll throw out a couple of them to you. We see people who are frustrated with God. We see people who are incredibly sad and mourning. We see Jesus being sad and angry. We see someone being raised from the dead. That's a high. That's an emotion. We didn't read, but if you keep reading, you read about people who want to kill Jesus, just so many emotions in the, this story. And what's interesting is that the people that we're reading about in this story are believers. They are, they are close friends of Jesus. The more you find out about Lazarus and Mary and Martha, you find out that Jesus had a guest room in the house, that if Jesus was near Bethany, he was stopping by for dinner. There was a place set for Jesus, he was very, very close to these people. And sometimes we don't uh, really grasp how emotional it is to follow Jesus. Or maybe we think that there's really not a lot of a place for emotions because if you follow Jesus, you should have faith or you should get it together or people who believe in Jesus should be more stable, right? We, we maybe think sometimes that God is bothered by our emotional instability. We think that maybe we shouldn't come to God with our problems or maybe people who believe in Jesus, maybe we believe that life will get easier or, or at least be more fortunate. I mean, after all, if God's gonna divvy up like, uh, good neighborhoods, good schools, well-behaved kids, and money. Why not give it to all the believers, right? But that's not how it happens. We have bad days. We have highs and lows, ups and downs. How many people have ever had a bad day before? Let me see your hand, bad day. How many people are having a bad day today? Let me just see your hand right here. Sometimes getting the kids in the car to come to church is the start of a bad day. Come on, anybody? Yesterday uh, evening, Andrea was out with some friends, and so I was home with the kids, and we were downstairs and having a good time, and uh, my four-year-old Solomon walked over to me, and uh, he, he's normally the life of the party. He was very somber, and he walked over to me, and he said, Dad, will you keep everybody downstairs? I'm going to go upstairs. I need a little alone time. 
Hey, I'm an introvert. I can, I can appreciate that. Like, sure, buddy. What's wrong? He said, Dad, I'm having a bad day. I said, you are? What's wrong? He said, well, I, I wanted to play with Braxton. He's our next door neighbor. I wanted to go with Braxton, but you wouldn't let me, and I just need some alone time. I said, buddy, you go get you some alone time, right? And I, when he said that, I thought to myself, you know what? If a four-year-old is having a bad day, we're all going to have a bad day because life's pretty good for that kid, all right? But we all deal with bad days. Even Jesus had bad days. And what Katie taught us last week is that bad days can be some of God's best moments because bad circumstances and bad days open our hearts to God unlike anything else Anything else can. And so what I want to do for the time we have left today is I want to talk specifically about three struggles that we all face, that we will face. You already have and you will continue to face them. And these are not struggles that people who don't believe in Jesus face. Actually, these are people, these are struggles that people who believe in Jesus especially face. The people in this story, the details in this story are not about lost people. It's not about another religion. It's not about agnostics or atheists. The, the emotions and the struggles that we're going to look at here were, were happening to the people who were the closest to Jesus. And so you will never get close enough to Jesus to not deal with these three struggles that we're going to talk about this morning. So grab your sermon guide. And let me give these to you. Number one, number one, believers feel disappointment. Believers feel disappointment. If you dig into this story a little bit, here's what you find out. That Jesus was 1.7 miles away from where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were when he found out that Lazarus was sick and going to die. 1.7 miles. So here at our South Louisville location, that is the equivalent of Jesus being up in Iroquois Park somewhere. And imagine us being here, and someone's about to die, and we send a messenger, like on a bike or in a car or a text message, hey, Jesus, need you to come over here because somebody needs a miracle, like miraculous intervention. And we tell everybody, hey, don't worry, he's just at Iroquois Park. He'll be right here. He doesn't come. We send another messenger. He doesn't come. It gets dark. He doesn't come. We decide to go to sleep. He'll be here in the morning. We wake up. He's not here. The day goes by. Another day goes by. Finally, on the fourth day, he rolls in. It's too late. It's too late. So knowing that Jesus was at Iroquois Park when you're here, and you sent a messenger for him because his closest friend, is about to die. You can understand why Martha would run out to meet him with a little bit of attitude. Martha comes across to me a little feisty, right? A little feisty. And she runs out to Jesus and she says to him, where were you? If you had been here, you were at Iroquois Park. What were you doing? You, you could have been here. Why were you not here? My brother's dead. Your friend is dead. You could have stopped it. You could have come. What could you possibly have been doing at Iroquois Park that's more important or that would keep you from being here? This is the way that 
Martha is talking to Jesus. This is how we know they're good friends because nobody talked to Jesus like that. But Martha did. And I love this exchange between Jesus and Martha for a lot of reasons. Number one, I love it because she's being honest about how she feels. Martha's not like, no, I'm good. I'm blessed. God is great. Wow. Just so in love with Jesus. No, she's mad. She's frustrated. She's disappointed. She's confused. She's upset. You were supposed to come. Why did you not come? I don't understand why you didn't do what I was certain you were going to do. She's very honest with God or with Jesus about what she's feeling. Another thing I love about it is that she goes to Jesus with her frustration. She's not a passive aggressive in some way. She doesn't go to Jesus and say, hey, listen, no hard feelings, we're good, and then get on Facebook and be like, thanks everybody for showing up except the one person, you know who you are. <laughs> thanks to everybody except you, dot, 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 dot. No, she goes to Jesus with her frustration and her anger. But I think what I love about this exchange the most between Jesus and Martha is that Jesus is not bothered by what she's doing. Jesus doesn't say, like, you need to take a breath and check yourself before you finish that sentence. Jesus doesn't say, who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? How dare you talk to me that way? Jesus doesn't do that. We have a high priest who understands our weaknesses and has faced and felt everything that we have faced and felt. Jesus doesn't say anything. He just lets her say whatever she feels like she needs to say. And so if you're here today and you're incredibly frustrated with God, you're in a season where you're incredibly angry with God. Maybe you prayed for a job you were sure you were going to get, but you didn't get it. Maybe you've prayed for a child that you haven't been able to have. Maybe you've prayed for a spouse that you haven't been able to find. Maybe you've prayed for a miracle for someone sick and they passed away. Maybe someone you looked up to spiritually let you down or hurt you. All of us at some point in our relationship with God will come to a place where we will want to know, why, God? Why? What could you possibly be doing that is better than what I suggested that we do? And if you feel that way, the good news is that you're in great company. I think what you'll find as you read the Bible is that the people God used most dramatically were some of the most dramatic people. Like questions for God, anger, depression, ups and downs. And even Jesus was hanging on the cross, knowing the plan the whole time. But the agony and the pain and the suffering was so severe that in that moment, even Jesus looked up to God and said, why? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? So if you ever feel such disappointment, such frustration, such anger with God that you want to know why you have abandoned me, why you frustrated me, why you didn't show up, why you haven't done what I thought you would do, you feel the same way that Jesus felt, and Jesus has felt the same way that you feel. 
And so if you're here and you feel this disappointment, it's not that you're not spiritual enough. It's not that you're not saved enough. It's not, it's not that you're not close enough to Jesus. It's that you don't know what he knows. And you can't see the way that he sees. You're going to experience disappointment. But, it, but, but when you do, let's be like Martha. Let's go to Jesus with our disappointment. Let me give you another truth that we experience in life. Not only do believers feel disappointment, but believers experience loss. As a pastor, I, I, I get a chance to do a lot of funerals, and we all know we're going to die. That's not the issue. The issue is how we die and when we die. And so I've had a chance to do a lot of funerals, and I've done funerals for people who have lived long, full lives, and those funerals are so much more enjoyable. People are laughing. There's some tears, but people are laughing. People are telling stories. There's this sense among everyone that, you know, they, they, they maximized life. But I've also done funerals and services for people who died in a tragic way, or they were young, and there's not laughter. There's just questions. And the younger the age gets, the more questions that, that there are. And in this story, we, we see that Lazarus, one of Jesus' closest friends, died. If Jesus was going to keep anyone from dying, wouldn't it have been Lazarus? But this is a reminder that just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you will not have to deal with loss and with death. And I think it's worth stopping for a moment and just noticing what, what Jesus said to Martha in verse 23. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. So Martha's like, where have you been? And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'll see him again one day. Got it. And Jesus said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I think the question he asked Martha is a fitting question for you and me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you believe in Jesus, you never die? That not, it's not that everybody never dies. It's not that everybody goes to a better place. It's that if you believe in Jesus, he is the resurrection and the life and that you never die. The Bible teaches us that when we are dealing with loss or when we're praying for someone who is facing death, that for those of us who believe in Jesus, we are all healed 100% of the time. Sometimes people are healed miraculously through prayer, and we love those. Sometimes people are healed progressively through medicine and doctors. That's just as much of a miracle. But sometimes people are healed eternally. And that's not a cop-out. That, that's not a, well, I mean, that's not what we wanted, but we'll take it. No, according to the Bible, the Apostle Paul said, to die is gain. According to the Bible, our last day on this earth is the best day on this earth because our last breath here is our first breath with Jesus. And so salvation has many benefits while we live in this world, but it is not the greatest benefit, anything having to do with this life, the greatest benefit is eternal life with Jesus. 
Now, we don't have a lot of time left, and I don't want to belabor this point, but I, I just felt so strongly this week that I needed to read you something because there's so many, so many new believers in the room. And, and I heard this, these verses that I'm about to read to you. I heard them a lot growing up, but we don't read them as much anymore. And so I just felt like we needed to read these verses uh, to, 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 to hear today to, to find some hope when it comes to this idea of death. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's on your sermon guide if you want to read along. But this is what it says in verses 13 and 14. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have, who have died. And the reason we want you to know is so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So for those of us who believe in Jesus... We grieve about loss differently than people who do not, do not believe in Jesus. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus has died and was raised to life again, that's a kind of a precursor, you got to believe that. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers, all the believers who have died. This is a, these are verses about the resurrection and about the rapture. And, and I don't know if you've ever heard those verses before, but the hope that we have as believers in Jesus is that we have to deal with loss as long as we live here. But when it feels like we're losing, we never lose because we get to be with Jesus forever. So whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, as long as you live in this world, you have to deal with the sadness of death and loss. But the difference, according to 1 Thessalonians, is that those who believe in Jesus don't have to grieve like those who, who, who don't believe in Jesus. We get to cry. We get to be sad. Even Jesus cried. But we have a hope. We have a hope that to be with Christ is the greatest reward, and that we get to be with, again, all the believers in all of time, our family members throughout history, the people that we love, for those of us who believe in Jesus, death sucks on this earth. But we get life with Christ. So we cry because we're sad, and we rejoice because we're glad that forever we get to be with Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? So Martha is just, she's ticked. And Jesus is like, I get it, but don't forget that it gets to stink for now, but it gets to be awesome forever. And so, and so that, that, same is that same thing is true for us. But let me give you one more. Not only do believers feel disappointment, believers experience loss. Let me give you one more. Believers have problems. Believers have problems. We didn't have a chance to read it because it's, um, it's later in the story. It's too far down. But in John 12, Jesus is hanging out with Lazarus, and you might imagine that he's been raised from the dead. He's probably a pretty big attraction. And in verse 10, it says, Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. Well, that's kind of a downer. He's raised from the dead, and now somebody wants to kill him. This is a beautiful reminder that, that God can be doing something miraculously amazing in our spiritual life, but we still have to deal with problems in this world. Now, nobody probably wants to kill you, hopefully, but that doesn't mean you don't have problems. 
And isn't it a sobering reminder that we can come to church and be filled with hope and connect to God's spirit, but then we get in the car and we go home and we're reminded that we are living with the frustration of children with disabilities or, uh, or, or behavioral problems or learning disabilities. Or we, or we are filled with hope. We love connecting with Christ and our hearts filled with love of Jesus. But we go to work and we realize we hate our job, we hate our boss, and we don't make enough money to put up with this. Or we leave church today high on Jesus and then we're wondering if the car will start. It's like a 50-50 proposition. We look at our bank statement, medical trouble, relationship trouble, Thank you, God, for filling my heart with love, but my marriage is on the rocks. Just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you don't have problems. And it would be amazing if we got saved and, and believed in Jesus and he just put a bubble around us and everything that came out of us just bounced off of us. That'd be awesome. That's not what he does. That even though we believe in Jesus, we have problems. And so the last verse I want to just read to you is verse 14, they get, message about, they get the message about Lazarus, and the disciples are like, well, we need to go. If he's going to go for anybody, he's going to go for Lazarus. And Jesus says in verse 14, he says these words, Lazarus is dead, and I have this underlined in my Bible, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there for now you will really believe. This is a huge statement. In other words, Jesus is saying, I could have prevented this problem, but for your sake, I am so glad you're gonna have to deal with this. I am so glad you're gonna have to walk through this. I am so glad you're gonna have to feel this. Because when you get done with this, you are really going to believe. That's what Katie talked about last week. And as a parent, I know, and as a parent, if you're a parent, you know the temptation that we feel to step in and prevent every adverse circumstance our children may want to face. Isn't that true? God is our heavenly father. I'm sure he would love to step in and prevent every painful moment that may happen in our lives. But he says to the disciples, I am so glad that you're going to have to experience this because when you're done with this, you will believe like you've never believed before. I'm not gonna step in on the front end, even though he does 10,000 times. In this instance, I'm not gonna step in on the front end and prevent it from happening. I'm gonna let you go through it and then I'm going to use it to do something greater, make something greater happen in your life. God uses problems to perfect our faith. And so what do we do with all of this today? Like, this has been a little bit heavy. I don't know if you felt it. I felt it for sure. You know, we didn't laugh as much. We weren't smiling as much. This is a heavy message, but what do we do with this? This is what we do with this. We hold on to the truth that just because we feel disappointed or angry or frustrated with God, or just because we're dealing with loss, or just because we're just because we're facing all kinds of problems, it does not mean that we are not loved by God. It doesn't mean that we're not spiritual enough. It doesn't mean that we're not saved enough. It doesn't mean that we're in the wrong place. It means that we are human beings 
And we'll never get close enough to Jesus to not have to feel the highs and the lows and the ups and downs of life. But when we feel the highs and we feel the lows, when we feel weak and when we feel strong, when we feel tempted and when we feel like we could never fall, when we feel fragile, we go to Jesus because he knows what it feels like to feel the way we feel. And the Bible promises us that we find grace when we need it the most. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you today, God, that so many of us in the room are at a place in our life that we need grace more than ever before. We feel more fragile than ever before. We feel more tested than ever before. And so, God, I just pray for every person in the room right now who's dealing with disappointment, anger, frustration, or walking through loss, or frustrated with the problems and feel defeated by all the problems that they're facing in life. God, I pray that today we would find hope and grace because we need it and that we would run to you, our Savior, who understands our weaknesses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.